but the animals would still be afoot when the snow buried my other food sources. Having strayed farther afield than usual, I was hurrying back home, lugging my burlap sacks, when I came across a dead rabbit. It was hanging by its neck in a thin wire a foot above my head. About fifteen yards away was another. I recognized the twitch-up snares because my father had used them. When the prey is caught, it's yanked into the air out of reach of other hungry animals. I'd been trying to use snares all summer with no success, so I couldn't help dropping my sacks to examine this one. My fingers were just on the wire above one of the rabbits when a voice rang out. That's dangerous. Did you understand that? Reading is fundamental. Let's go. Alright, alright. So here we are with another one. English and coffee. Back at you with another one. It's August 10th. It's Saturday night. We're recording. We're doing this. Let's go. So, I started today off with a little excerpt from um, The Hunger Games, if you didn't catch on to that. Um, it's a book from uh, Susan Collins. She also made a movie about it. Uh, it was a big success, a huge success. But today I wanted to talk about reading and the importance of it. I mean, it's great to talk. We all love a good conversation, a good laugh. I know myself, I enjoy talking more than writing, more than reading. But lately I've just been getting back into, you know, the whole grammar and things like that, trying to brush up on my Russian. And I've probably bought five books in the last two weeks. And I've just been absorbing page after page, grammar after grammar example. Um, but it's all in context. I'm reading things that are interesting to me. Reading is fundamental. It's an essential part of the language learning process. I mean, you can't, you know, have the yin without the yang. You know, you can't write without the pen in the paper. You have to have all things working simultaneously. So, that's why today I'm going to be reading a couple of texts from different books, uh, a couple sections, um, just so you can see the, the differences in some of the uh, texts you may read. Now, one of the important things is that you read something that's important to you, something that's uh, revolves around your life. So let's just say you're interested in sports. Then you need to re be reading books about sports. If you're interested in parenting, you need to read books about parenting. Reading these things will give you the grammar you need to be able to talk about it in your target language. Well, namely English, because that's what you're studying now if you're listening to this podcast, but you can also apply it with French or Arabic or whatever you're reading or studying. Um, so before we get into it, I'll just give you a quick, real quick uh, recap of my week. Uh, supervisor was out a couple of days, so that was good. Work as usual. Uh, one of my clients, he's just kind of like falling off the rocker, but it's neither here nor there. Went fishing today. Didn't catch anything. We had a storm. I caught some good footage. Didn't catch any fish, but I caught some good footage of that, and I'll send that to my uh, friend tomorrow. I'm sure she'll get a kick out of it. We had like the, the river was just raging. I mean, the water was just busting up on the shore. So it was a crazy, crazy scene. I don't even know if she'll be able to hear me because it was so much wind and just water crashing. But um, that's what's going on with me. Um, we're closing out the summer. It's getting, you know, closer to uh, fall and things like that. So the weather's about to change. So, you know, if you're one of these beach goers, beach lovers, then you might want to get out there before it gets too cold. Um, because nobody's going to be bouncing the ball in 60 degree weather. It's just not a good time. But I think uh, since I have so much text here that I want to share with you guys, I'll be talking here 
uh, in between the text and everything, giving you a little context and everything as we keep this thing moving along. But I just wanted, like I said today, take a moment just to give you some examples of what different text sounds like. Because if you just sit here reading grammar books, then you don't get the words in context. You need to get a feel of the English language. And if you do understand everything that I'm saying in this podcast, then I salute you. I mean, I don't even, I appreciate the fact that you're still listening to this podcast if you understand everything. But like I said, um, let's just get, let's just get into it. All right, let's go. Okay, so this first text I'm going to read for you is from a book called Girl Interrupted uh, by Susan Kazan. Uh, she made a movie, or a movie was based off this book uh, many years ago. It's Girl Interrupted, great movie, uh, with Winona Ryder and Angelina Jolie. Um, this is a text. I recommend you read the book. It's a good book. I got the book because I love the movie so much. Um, Hopefully you understand it, but I'm going to be reading it at a native level speed. I'm going to read it just like I would read it. I'm not going to try to slow it down and the world didn't stop because we weren't in it anymore. No, this this isn't this isn't for that. This is just to let you know that if you're reading and you, you, you're comprehending everything you read, okay, and your speed's good, it's decent, but this is just how a regular person would read the text. You know, we don't read it, you know, word, pause, word, pause, word, pause. It's, it's fluid. It's alive. Sometimes we mess up. We make mistakes. We're people. I mean, even native speakers make mistakes all the time. So if you're making mistakes while you read, don't don't beat yourself down about it. It's, it's no big deal. Just pick up, correct the mistake, and keep going. I might even make a few mistakes while I'm sitting here reading. But it's all the same. Understand what I'm reading. And if your language is at that level, then you'll understand what I'm saying too. All right, so let's go. Um, this is page 92 if you want to follow along, if you have the book. All right. <clears throat> the world didn't stop because we weren't in it anymore. Far from it. Night after night, tiny bodies fell to the ground on our TV screen. Black people, young people, Vietnamese people, poor people, some dead, some only bashed up for the moment. There were always more of them to replace the fallen and join them the next night. Then came the period when people we knew, not knew personally, but knew of, started falling to the ground. Martin Luther King, Robert Kennedy, was that more alarming? Lisa said it was natural. They gotta kill them, she explained. Otherwise, it'll never settle down. But it didn't seem to be settling down. People were doing the kinds of things we had fantasies of doing. Taking over universities and abolishing classes, making houses out of cardboard boxes and putting them in people's way, sticking their tongues out at policemen. We'd cheer them on, those little people on our TV screen who shrank as their numbers increased until they were just a mass of dots taking over universities and sticking their tiny tongues out. We thought eventually they'd get around to liberating us too. Right on, we'd yell at them. Fantasies don't include repercussions. That was the text. Did you understand it? What do you think she was talking about? What do you think this book's about? I'd be interested to hear your response. Why don't you record an audio message for me and send it my way and let me see if you are following what I was reading or as they would say if you were picking up what I was putting down some slang for you all right let's go ahead and jump over to the next text okay so this next section or this next text is coming from a book called 30 second politics uh, this is for 
shoot, who would read this book? This is going to be people that are into the government, people that love learning about new government systems, new changes, cabinet members, legislature, and things like that. Reading a book like this will definitely, definitely put you at the table of the next debate. I mean, you will be on steroids when you're sitting down having a debate with your friends talking about the government and changes in the world. But I'm going to sit here and read a little section out of here called um, Parliamentary Democracy. Uh, this is my first time reading this text. Um, I mean, I have this book just because I wanted to know more about the government, but I haven't sat down and read it because it's just not that interesting to me right now. Um, if there ever comes a moment or whatever when I need it, then I can pick up this book as a reference point. But uh, I'm just going to read this text here so you can see some of the differences between the texts. I mean, the first text I read came from the girl interrupted or girl interrupted. So that was more of a story setting, like a journal. And this is something uh, providing the reader with information. Somebody wants to know what a parliamentary democracy is, then they read text like this. And this is how it sounds. Parliamentary democracy is a system of fused powers in which the voters elect the legislator and the legislature, frequently called the parliament, elects the executive, known as the government or the cabinet. This is to be contrasted with the separation of powers, such as the presidential system in which the voters independently elect the legislature and the executive. Typically, the head of a government in a parliamentary system is called the prime minister, and the members of the cabinet are called ministers. Ministers in a parliamentary system are all normally members of the legislature, unlike in presidential systems where it is typically the case that members of the cabinet cannot be members of the legislature. The prime minister and the cabinet serve as long as they can maintain the confidence of a majority of legislators. Should that confidence be lost, a new cabinet must be formed, an action that may require new elections. The creation and maintenance of such majorities gets more complicated the more parties that are in the legislature. The head of state in a parliamentary system is not the prime minister, but rather is either a constitutional monarch, such as in Britain and Spain, or is vested in an appointed president or other official, as in Germany or Israel. Okay, did you understand anything in that text? Because I may have to read it a few times just to get the gist of it. I mean, that's that's pretty, that's pretty thick. But like I said, then again, I'm not all into politics like that. But somebody who watches the news and is all into politics, I mean, this is probably candy to them. I mean, they're just drooling at the mouth right now because, um, yeah, that's that's pretty thick. Definitely for an advanced uh, reader, if you're studying. English, um, because even natives, like, uh, that's why we have books like this to explain things to us. Um, I'm sure in your country, I mean, whatever governments and things like that you have, I'm sure you have text on it. Um, so even for a native, I mean, new information is new information. If you haven't read it, you haven't read it. Take some time to digest. You can't expect to know everything the first time you read it. But um, we're going to keep pushing on, and uh, we'll see what I pick up when we come back. Here we are back with another one. This text is from a book called Healing the Child Within, Discovery and Recovery for Adult Children of Dysfunctional Families. So this one's going to be more along the lines of mental health and psychology. So anyone studying psychology or any psychologists out there, therapists, social workers, um, this one's for you. 
Okay, this section is called Getting Angry, and it is on page 99. All right, here we go. <clears throat> Anger is one of the most common and most important of our feelings. Like other feelings, it is an indicator to us of what we might need to attend to. People who grow up in a troubled family often do not realize how angry they are, nor how useful it can be for them to recognize and express their anger, even if their traumas or mistreatments happened many years ago. When they were children and adolescents, they were often repeatedly mistreated. This mistreatment may be subtle, as discussed above in Chapter 9 under High Tolerance for Inappropriate Behavior. Children and adults often do not realize that they have been mistreated. Having no other reference point from which to test reality, they think, they think that how they were treated, and often how they are still being treated, is somehow appropriate or okay. Or, if not appropriate, they somehow deserve to be so mistreated. Through hearing the stories of others in recovery, we slowly learn what mistreatment, abuse, or neglect actually is. In recovery, in group therapy, or individual therapy, becoming and being aware of our feelings and expressing them is shown to be a distinct advantage in eventually living a successful and peaceful life. As we discover our mistreatment, we can begin the necessary and freeing process of grieving and mourning. Becoming aware of our anger and expressing it is a major part of the grieving process. So you can see the differences in the text. You can see the differences in the flow. How the text goes um, versus the, the last thing I just read was uh, 30 Second Politics versus Girl Interrupted. Very different text. But see, the thing is, if you're someone who's in a mental health, social work, trying to help others, understand the mind, understand relationships, understand emotions, why we do what we do, behavior, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, DBT, whatever you're into, those are the kind of things you need to read. So even for, I mean, a native, if I was to sit here and talk about, I'm in mental health, so I work in mental health, so I mean, this is, this is second nature to me, the dynamics of shame and low self-esteem, guilt, levels of awareness about feelings, the spectrum of feelings, psychic numbing, re-experiencing the trauma, symptoms incon inconsistent, unpredictable, arbitrary, chaotic, um, yeah. This is, these, these are terms I use in my, my everyday uh, life at work. So, but here's the important thing about it. So if you're only reading, you know, children's books or you're reading just one type of text, then you're missing out on a lot. There's a whole other world out there of vocabulary to learn. Now, you will not learn all of it. I'm not going to sit here and say, I know every last English word. No, I don't. There are still some words that I'll probably never use and never even hear about. But. You, if you read what's interesting to you, you'll have a better time studying a foreign language. Uh, I think I have two, two or three more texts. So let's go ahead and uh, jump to those. Let's take another short break. Okay, so this here is uh, more so a, an informational book. Uh, it's called Resumes for Dummies. They have a whole series, uh, a dummies series. Basically, if you wanted to learn how to fix your car, they have car for dummies or fix a computer. They have a dummies version for it. So this is just a book breaking things down in layman's terms. Layman's terms, a new expression if you haven't heard it before. Layman's terms is basically plain English. So like if you go to a doctor and he says, well, he just had a, um, a contusion of the the freaking lower, if it's lower lumbar, you're like, what the heck is that? 
And you say, oh, well, he pinched, he pinched a nerve in his back. Okay, well, that makes sense, layman's terms. And that may not even be right, but I'm just showing you the difference between some technical speech and then layman's terms. All right, so this book here is Resumes for Dummies. So it's a pretty thick book. It's got about, I don't know, 340 pages. And this would be something uh, someone would purchase to learn how to write resumes. This is just a section called Scannable Resumes, same as ever. And I'm going to read this section. Okay. A scannable resume is a resume that a recipient, usually a clerk in an employment office, scans into a computer as an image. Because computers read resumes differently than people do, you have to follow certain inconvenient rules, which I describe in this section, to be fairly sure that your scannable resume will be read as you intended. A scannable resume may start life as a paper resume that you can postal mail, hand deliver, or fax on a fax machine. The employer uses a scanning machine to enter a hard copy resume into the candidate database. More often these days, you create a scannable resume on your computer and email it to an employer, who electronically enters it into a database. After an employer has your scannable resume, computer software extracts from it a summary of basic information, pulling out factors like your name, contact information, skills, work history, years of experience and education. Scan resumes and their extracted summaries sleep peacefully until an HR specialist or recruiter searches the summaries by keywords to retrieve candidates who match the requirements of a job opening. The technology ranks candidates from the most qualified to the least qualified. The relevant resumes get a wake-up call and pop to the recruiting screen where human eyes take over the recruiting task. The once desirable scannable resumes are on their way out, joining MS-DOS operating software in computer museums. Recruiters now prefer the newer intake systems that allow resumes to travel smoothly online and move straight into an electronic resume management database without the need to conform to scanning rules. Even so, don't trash your scannable resume just yet. If an employer or job site directs you to send a resume that can be scanned, do it. And do it well, so that your resume doesn't go AWOL in a database. Take the following steps to pre prevent scanning errors from putting you on the sidelines. Use type that's clear and readable. Don't use a condensed typeface. White spaces separate letters. No space smushes them together. Letters must be distinctly clear with crisp, unbroken edges. Avoid arty, decorative typefaces. Avoid these bad scan elements. Italics or script, underlining, reverse printing, white letters on a black field, shadows or shading. Hollow bullets. They read like the letter O. Number signs. Four bullets. The computer may read it as a phone number. Boxes. Computers try to read them like letters two-column formats or designs that look like newspapers. Symbols, such as a logo, vertical lines. Computers read them like the letter L. Vertical dates. Use horizontal dates, 2006-2010. Feel free to use larger fonts for section headings and under your name. Do keep your scannable resume simple in design and straightforward. Do send your paper resume without staples. So, that's more of, like I said, an instructional text, uh, telling somebody how to get their resume together. So there's several sections in here. Sift through your past. Use professional terms. Uh, wow words can bring good news. Now, this might be interesting to you. Wow words for administration and management. So these are what you call buzzwords, keywords. 
things that people look for when you're writing your resume and you're talking about what you did. So I'm going to just read a couple of these off because they're all verbs. Uh, maybe you know some of them. Advised, approved, authorized, chaired, consolidated, counseled, integrated, launched, lectured, listened, managed, meditated, mentored, moderated, monitored, motivated, negotiated, originated, taught, trained, trimmed, validated, demonstrated, critiqued, performed, planned, presented, produced, projected, launched, lectured, led, dissuaded. I mean, it goes on and on and on and on. But see, the difference, the difference in me reading the text and then giving you a list of words, these words are without context. So it's almost impossible to learn these words, you know, have a good foundation in these words if they're without context. So now the text read, I advise them on how they should proceed, right? Or we integrated the new system, or we launched the project. Or we or reorganized our management structure. Or we revitalized the last plan. We sponsored the domestic project. We strengthened our team with blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I, I've, I've kind of stayed away from word lists. I don't study word lists anymore. I just get things in context. I meet a word, I learn it at that time when I need it while I'm reading something that I enjoy. Because if none of this stuff is interesting to you, then, then you will not read it. You will not have a good time learning English. That's why it's important to read things you like. If you like comics, read comics. If you like cartoons, read cartoons. If you like freaking rock collecting, stamp collecting, read about that. It doesn't matter what you read as long as you read. Because these are going to be the things you're talking about with your friends or people that you meet in your target language. So we'll do one more reading and then we'll close it up, put a nice little bow on it and sign off. Okay, this last reading comes from a book called Household Hints by June King. Excuse me. It comes from, uh, like I said, June King and it's got a whole bunch of household hints, little tips and tricks, you know, for people when you have different things like... Um, condensation in your closet, you need to clean a stain on the floor, your tub's too dirty, or you need to hang something, you ran out of hangers, what do you do, right? So let's just see, we're going to open this book here, we're on page 60, uh, smelly closets, so I guess smelly closets is something that people run into from time to time, if you put something in there that's not all the way dry, or you have some funky clothes and you stick them in your closet, then your closet's going to stink, right? So this is something to rid your closet of bad odors. This is how it reads. Closets usually smell if they aren't well ventilated. If your closet doesn't have a ventilation duct inside it, then you should leave the doors open overnight when no guests will be over to see this messy sight. Put some baking soda on the carpet for freshness, and you might even want to tape the wrapper of a scented bar to the wall. Spicy scents are especially good, as they also keep more mosquitoes out. It is very important to keep your closet smelling fresh or your clothes could absorb some foul odors, requiring you to wash them even if you have not worn them. So that's a short little thing. And she has uh, several things in here. She has, uh, that was just something on laundry, something smells fishy, muffin trick, turkey dinner. Let's see, turkey dinner. Everyone seems to think that carving a turkey is difficult, but it's actually quite simple, as long as you follow these directions. 
To remove white meat, cut directly downwards until you hit bone, using the breast bone as a guide. Then turn the knife horizontal and cut outwards. Repeat for the other side. You will then have two succulent turkey breasts, which can easily be sliced on a cutting board. To remove legs and wings, pull the appendage away from the body and hunt for the joint with the tip of your knife. When you finally find the cartilage, your knife should be able to cut through it without any problem whatsoever. Yeah. So, I guess June King, uh, that's her idea of how to carve a turkey. Um, I'm sure everyone has their own way of doing it. I don't do it like that. Um, I don't conform to the rules when it comes to working in the kitchen because I like to do what I do. Cooking is art. I don't care if you're making a sandwich, if you're making Kool-Aid, if you're making a steak, it's art. Each cook has their own taste, we'll say. But yeah, let's go ahead and put a bow on this, but before we do that, let's take another break. So, as I said before in the beginning, uh, reading is fundamental. It's something you need to do if you want to meet new words. Um, even, even in your own language, I mean, if you want to come across new topics, learn information, then you have to read about it. I mean, it's good to hear about it, but sometimes you got to walk away and read. Take a little time, a little one-on-one, -on -one, self to self, and really absorb the information. Each of these texts that I read covers a whole different gamut of vocabulary. You won't find, you'll find similar words, the basic words, what they call the core vocabulary. You'll see that in all the books because they connect the ideas and thoughts. But the verbs, the adjectives, the descriptions, the expressions, they're all going to be key to whatever kind of text it is. The story text is going to be more straightforward, everyday conversation. The political text is going to talk about terms and phrases, some of them I don't even know about. I mean, if somebody said, what's uh, Taoism? I, I couldn't tell you what it is because I, <laughs> I don't know. I have to read about it, right? So don't expect yourself to know everything and anything that there is in English. I mean, just like you don't know everything in your own language, you won't know everything in English. So learn what's important to you. Read about what's important to you. Talk about what's important to you. doesn't matter if it's silly. doesn't matter if it's crazy. Just do something that's interesting. If the book's too hard, if you pick up a book and you start reading it and you're like having to look up every other word, that's not, that's not the book for you. That's not the book that's on your level. But if you pick up something and maybe in the whole page you have to look up seven words, okay, that's appropriate. That's, that's a good challenge, but I mean you understand in the text because each page you read, each book, each article, each website you visit, it just reinforces what you know. So with that, like I said, reading is fundamental. And I hope you uh, find something to read and uh, sit down and Enjoy yourself this evening, or this morning, whatever time you're listening to this. But that was English and Coffee, and I'll see you in the next one.